I'm delighted that you're here and I hope you've got your Bible with you, eager to take that Bible and study with us as we talk about things that have to do with serving God and going to heaven in the after a while. Thomas Adams said, pride thrust Nebuchadnezzar out of men's society, Saul out of his kingdom, Adam out of paradise, Haman out of court, and Lucifer out of heaven. Indeed, pride is a problem. Augustine said, pride is the greatest sin of all. And perhaps we'll see why that's the case or why he thought that was the case in just a few moments as we begin to unfold some of our principles in our study. I want us to understand that pride invades every facet of one's life. Doesn't matter what what is going on in your life, if there is pride in our hearts, it invades every facet of our life. How so? Well, one can be proud of himself. One can be proud of his accomplishments. We can be proud of our possessions, talk about those in a few moments. We can be proud of our people. We can be proud of our race and even proud of our sin and even proud of our humility. It's possible one could think they're humble and they're quite proud of their humility and will tell you how humble they have been and they brag about their humility. So it invades every facet of our life. Well, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, begin at verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, this is a familiar text to us all. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. It's defined world. The world sometimes has reference to the people that make up the world. Sometimes the term world has reference to the earth and the planets. That's the world that God created. But sometimes it has reference to the realm or the sphere of iniquity, and that's how it's used in this context. So we are to love the people of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved everybody. This world has reference to the realm or the sphere of iniquity, the realm of sin. Now let's read the text again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What have we learned so far? That you can't love sin and love God at the same time. If you love the world, the love of God is not in you. Now verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, this is what's in that realm of iniquity, can be summarized thus. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and, here's our phrase, the pride of life. is not of the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. In other words, I'm learning it from a contrast between 16 and 17. The one doing the will of God is not practicing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If one is guilty of the pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, they're not doing the will of the Father, according to verse 17. So let's talk about pride for a little bit this morning. We use the term in our English everyday language in two different senses. And so let's talk about those two different senses. I don't know where the Bible ever uses it in this sense, but we talk about taking pride in something. And what we mean by that is there's self-respect, have some personal dignity. Take pride in how you look. Take pride in your work. Well, like Colossians 3.23, let's take that for an example. We saw that in our Bible class last time. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. You be the best worker you can be. 
So take pride in your work. If your job is to sweep the floor and that's the only thing you do, then take pride in being the best floor sweeper there is. Whatever your job may be, take pride in your work. Though the term is not used in that text. Same thing in Romans 12 and in verse 11, that you're to work fervently as to the Lord. Whatever we do, we do fervently in our service whether it's our service to the Lord in our occupation or our service to the Lord in worship or some other aspect of our service to the Lord. But I'm interested this morning in how the term pride is used with reference to self-importance and arrogance. And that is labeled as a sin. We just read in 1 John 2, 16 that that's part of the world. The pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. The passage that you see there, Proverbs chapter 6, is that well-known passage There are six things the Lord hates, and yea, seven are abomination. And one of those is a proud look. So that term, pride, is used sometimes in a good sense in our everyday language. Not that way in the New Testament. But we use it that way in the New Testament, or it's found in the New Testament, always in the sense of arrogance. And that's where our focal point wants to be in our study this morning. So let's talk about the pride of life, based on 1 John 2 and in verse 16. Let's begin with this. Let's talk about the fact that pride is a sin. And let's establish that this arrogance, this self-importance, lifting ourselves up with pride is sin. And let's just establish that from several texts. Let's go to Proverbs, if you will. Chapter 21. This is going to be somewhat of a word study this morning, so I encourage you to get a Bible. We're going to be tracing a number of passages. Let's go to Proverbs 21. And look at verse 4. That pride is wrong within itself. A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. So here is a, a proud heart and a haughty look. Two descriptions of pride, and God said, that's sin. That's all I want us to see and establish that it's a sin. Well, let's go to a couple of passages here in the book of Proverbs. Let's go now to Proverbs chapter 6. I'm not going to look at the whole text. Proverbs chapter 6. That six things the Lord hates, and yea, seven are an abomination. And one of those seven is a proud look. And so that pride is something God hates. God despises it. And so if we're filled with this pride, then God indeed not despises us, but He despises the sin. Proverbs 16 and in verse 5 says, Every proud, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Take the time to turn there. Notice this, the, the, phrase, uh, the phrasing of this. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination. So not only does God consider it a sin, this goes a step further saying, the one who is guilty is considered an abomination in the sight of God. God hates the fact that we are indeed in sin. Well, let's go to another point. It is characteristic of the perilous times. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy rather, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the perilous times. The King James, New King James. Your translation may say the grievous times or the fierce times. Troublesome times. What is it that makes the times so terrible and so troublesome? Well, the text tells us in verses 1 to 5, here are some of the characteristics of the times. We'll come back to those in just a moment. Let's get ahead of ourselves to verse 8. The reason men are living this way is because they have resisted the truth. 
Now the answer to the problem, verse 16, is to point men back to the inspired Word of God. That's the answer to the problem. But let's look at some of the things in verses 1 to 5 that makes it troublesome or difficult. So we're living in troublesome times. What makes it troublesome? Well, let's see. Beginning at verse 2. Men are lovers of themselves. That's pride. They're lovers of money. They're boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. Notice now at verse 4, they're traitors, headstrong, and haughty. Several of those phrases, not everyone, but many of those are related somehow to the concept of lifting ourselves up with pride. That's characteristic of the grievous or the troublesome times. Well, let's go to Mark chapter 7. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. And I want us to notice from Mark chapter 7 that pride comes from an evil heart. That if one is full of pride and they live a life of proudness and haughtiness, it's because they have a heart that's turned toward evil. Mark 7, beginning at verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceeds evil thoughts. What comes from this heart of man? Well, there's evil thoughts, there's adultery, fornication, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and an evil eye, blasphemy. Now notice the next word, pride, and foolishness. So pride comes from a heart that is geared toward things that are evil. So why do men do things that are show their, their arrogance and their pride? It's because it's coming from, indeed, an evil heart. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the text said. Now what do I learn from that? I'm learning from that, that that becomes an avenue, those three things become the avenue for other sins that are committed. For other sins that are committed. In other words, the sins I commit that may be like, it may be lying, or it may be stealing, or it may be adultery, or it may be lust, or whatever, is going to come from one of those three avenues. Let me give you two examples of that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Go to Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. We won't read the entire text. But this is the case where Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan to eat of the forbidden fruit And they were tempted in all three avenues. So let's get that at verse 6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one rise. Now what are the three avenues? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. So she saw it was good for food. There's the lust of the flesh. Pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. So what my point is, is that pride is an avenue for other sins. She ate of the forbidden fruit. Why did she do that? Well, lust of the eyes. But another reason was the lust of the flesh. But another reason was the pride of life drove her to do that. So that pride drives you to do other things that are contrary to the will of God and not just pride within itself. Let's notice another example. This is not a case in Matthew chapter 4 of yielding to sin, but it is a case of temptation. And that is the temptation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was tempted in all three avenues. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I will draw a conclusion from that in a moment. But notice at verse 3. The tempter came saying to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. The lust of the flesh. Then he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Verse 6. If you are the Son of God, 
appealing from the pride of life. And then finally, I'll, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and I'll give you all these, the lust of the eye. So Jesus was tempted in all three avenues. Now, Jesus did not yield, but it illustrates the point that had Jesus yielded or t Satan tempted someone else in those same three avenues, and they yield, that temptation or that pride of life yields to other sins. That's the point we're trying to make. Often this is a committed, often committed sin, pride, but it's a seldom acknowledged sin. Quite often other people are arrogant, our attitude is, but I happen to be right. Or others think they're superior, I just have self-esteem. In other words, we don't view our pride generally as I have a problem with pride. Someone may admit I have a problem with my tongue. Someone may even admit I have a problem with lust. But how often do you hear, I'm not saying you've never heard it, but have you heard someone say, you know what, I have a problem with pride. I think too much of myself. I've lifted myself up too high. I think too highly of myself. Not often do we acknowledge that as a sin. Now let's look at some examples. Now what's the value of looking at some examples of pride? Let's find some examples in the Bible of people who were proud indeed. And other than saying, okay, I can label that one as proud and they are guilty of pride, maybe we can look at some of the things they did and the qualities they had. We won't have time to develop all of that. But just the mention of the name may remind you, as you being a good Bible student, of some of their qualities, and yet they were labeled as being people of pride. What are some examples? Let's take Uzziah. Let's turn over to 2 Chronicles, the 26th division. We read of the reign of Uzziah. Reigned for 52 years. He was a good king overall. But I want you to pay attention to verse 16 of the text. And when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For the transgression against the Lord his God by entering the temple and burning incense on the altar of incense. In other words, he wasn't authorized to do that. So notice now at verse, when the priest comes in, verse 18, he said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense. Here's a man who's making a sacrifice and burning incense that he was not authorized. But why did he do that? Why did he do something contrary to the will of God? Why did he do something that was not authorized? Go back to verse 16. His heart was lifted up with pride and caused him to do that. Something learned, to learn from that, something very practical. We're going to make a passing reference to Haman, and the reason for that, on Wednesday nights we're studying the book of Esther, and as we have made our way through those, those chapters, chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, those, those chapters we've already covered, we saw the story of Haman, who was a man who was lifted up with pride when he thought he was superior to Mordecai. When the king wanted to honor someone, well, who would the king want to honor more than me? And so here's a man lifted up with pride. But the story of the book is, or part of the story of the book is, God abased the man who lifted himself up indeed with pride. Let's go even further. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was a man who lifted himself up with pride. He was the Babylonian king. And one of the points to be made from the book of Daniel is God rules in the kingdoms of men. And Nebuchadnezzar understood that finally and came to know that. Let's begin at verse 28 of chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 beginning at verse 28. I want you to notice that at the end of the 12, I'm reading it's 29, 12 months, he was walking about in the royal palace of Babylon. Here's what the king said. Notice his arrogance, his pride. Is not this great Babylon 
that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for my honor and my majesty? Notice how he talks about what I've done, what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done. Look at this mighty kingdom, and it's all because of me. Now, we don't have time to read the rest of the story, but I want you to notice this. Beginning at verse 32, God said he will drive, that they shall drive you from men and from the dwelling and be among the beasts. You remember what happened to him. He became basically an animal and began to eat grass. Now, verse 32, till you know the most high rules in the kingdoms of men, till you know who's in control, it's not you. Drop down to verse 37. End of verse 37. <clears throat> now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol God. He finally come to the recognition of who God was. And all those works are truth, and his ways are justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Well, no wonder he said that. Here's an example of a man full of pride. Here's another example of pride. Here is the Pharisee. There were two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican, the text says. So look at chapter 18 of the book of Luke. Jesus talked about the example of those who would pray. But I'm interested in a statement just before that. Look at Luke chapter 18 beginning at verse 9. That he spoke a parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I'm important, I'm righteous, and you're not. That's pride. And what was the point of the parable? Well, let's see. There were two men who went up to the temple to pray, the Pharisee and a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I gave tithes of all that I possess, and, this tax collector, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Humility in contrast. He said, I tell you that he went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself shall be abased, and he humbles himself shall be exalted. Another example of pride. Herod, let's go to Acts chapter 12. Herod, King Herod. Do you remember on occasion in Acts chapter 12, the Herods obviously were wicked men, wicked family. The men and the women were quite wicked. There was a set day, verse 21, in interest of, of saving a little time here. Notice at verse 21 that on a set day, Herod arraigned in his royal apparel, sat on the throne and gave a great oration to them. And the people shouted, the voice of a God and not of men. He loved it that they were praising him as a God. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him. Because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten with worms and he died. Case of a man's arrogance. Acts chapter 5. The term pride is not used in Acts chapter 5. But let me retell the story without reading verses 1 through 11. To see the pride in this. Here was Ananias and Sapphira. They had land. Everybody else was selling land and bringing money and saying they're giving so much. Giving all my money into the treasury. And here's Ananias and Sapphira who want the same credit. And they sell their land, but they kept back part of the price, but they said they were giving the whole price. Why is that? Because of pride. Because they want credit for that. So we sold our land for $10,000. we are giving $10,000, but they may have kept six of it back for themselves. That's pride. I want credit for the whole thing. I want people to think I'm giving a lot. That's pride. Cause them to do what they did. The disciples also had a problem with pride. 
Do you remember in Matthew chapter 18, they were disputing and arguing, these parallel texts says they were arguing, over who is the greatest in the kingdom. Some are thinking this one, no, no, I think this is the greatest. Someone else might be saying, I think I'm the greatest. It's a materialistic concept of who's going to have the high rank in the material kingdom they thought Jesus was going to establish. And so they're arguing and fussing. And Jesus said they had needed a lesson on humility, except you be converted. If you don't change and become humble, you won't even be in the kingdom, he says. So here are some prime examples of pride. Uzziah, Haman, Nebuchadnezzar, the Pharisee, Herod, Ananias, and Sapphira, the disciples when they were arguing. None of us want to be like those examples that we just saw. Now let's talk about the fact, thirdly, that pride leads to other problems. But I may be guilty of pride. The pride within itself can be a sin. But that pride can lead to some other problems. Like what? Well, pride can keep one from conversion. Let's go to Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. Again, we're not looking for the word pride here. Let's go to the book of Acts. Let's go to the 24th division and look at verse 25. And this is where Felix is hearing the gospel preached. Paul came to him and reasoned concerning faith in Christ, verse 24, and he reasoned with him concerning righteousness, self-control, your translation may say temperance, and thirdly, judgment to come. Self-control means you suppress your will and you yield to the will of God. That's his point. So he reasoned with him concerning right. God has a plan for making men righteous. There's a judgment day coming, but what does self-control or self-denial have? That you need to suppress your will and yield to the will of God in order to become a child of God. Now notice what the text says, that he said, go away for now when I have a convenient season, I will call for you. See, pride prevents us from admitting I have a need. It's pride that keeps us from admitting I'm in, I'm in the wrong, I need to make correction in my life. I need to be converted, I need to become a child of God. Pride prevents me from making a change. Pride keeps us from suppressing our own will. Pride keeps us from yielding to the will of God. It leads to other problems. There's something else pride does. Pride keeps us from confessing and acknowledging our sins. Go back to the text in Luke chapter 18. And as if you don't turn there, you'll remember we just looked at that a moment ago. There was the Pharisee and the publican. Remember, one of them was humble and the other one was, was full of pride. God, I think I'm not as other men are. Here's what all I've done. I fast twice a week, give tithes of all that I possess, and I'm glad I'm not like this publican. He never confessed or acknowledged anything. And yet the publican was the man who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Pride keeps us from acknowledging our sin. It takes humility to say, I was wrong, I have sinned. Luke 15 is an example of that. Remember the prodigal come back? Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That takes humility. Here's something else it does. Pride causes one to live beyond their means. Pride causes us to be so proud that we have to live on our, uh, to, to, we're too proud to live on what we have or to live on less than what we want to live on. Someone once said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. 
Now, why are people living like that? Living off of the credit card to the point they're, they're deeply in debt. Much of that is driven by pride. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13 and in verse 8. That's not to suggest that borrowing money is always wrong, but there is something to be said about debt we can't pay. Look, notice at verse 8, Owe no man anything except to love. You say, well, the point of that is we owe to love. That's right. But he says, don't owe any man anything except to love. Here's a debt you never will get paid off. In other words, you can never say, well, I paid that debt of love off. I've loved as much as I need to, and I don't owe another thing, and I'm not going to make another payment on, on love. I don't, I'm not going to do that. I've paid up full, and I don't plan to be in debt again. That's something you'll be indebted to for the rest of your life. You'll never pay that debt off. But in contrast, notice verse 8, owe no man anything. In other words, pay your debts. It's pride that causes us to live beyond our means. Pride leads to contention. Start to the 13th division of the book of Proverbs. Pride leads to contention. Why do people get at odds? And they argue. And the, the friction builds to the point they pull completely apart and they don't even speak to each other anymore. Why is that? Pride? Look at Proverbs 13.10. By pride comes only contention. But with uh, well, the well-advised is wisdom. You use wisdom, there's not going to be contention. But you're full of pride, contention, and strife comes as a result. Often the proud are never wrong, at least in their own mind. If they're proud, I'm not the one that did wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I couldn't be wrong. And consequently, there is contention. Pride leads to thinking that one will never fall. It leads to one thinking they'll never fall. Let's go to the 16th division of Proverbs. Proverbs 16 and in verse uh, 18. 16 in verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That is, when I have pride and I'm lifted up with, with this self-esteem far above that which I ought to have, that causes me to think that I'll never fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 said, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That when I begin to think, you know what, I'm too strong. I don't think I'll ever fall. I don't think that'll ever happen to me. In fact, we sometimes say that. I've known of cases where somebody publicly acknowledges adultery. And someone may say, and even say to that person, I may be guilty of a lot of sins, but I tell you what, I'll never be guilty of that. That's arrogance. That's pride. You don't know. You don't know. That, don't ever say that'll never happen to me. Take heed lest he fall. It causes this kind of attitude that says, I'll rule or ruin, or I'll boss or I'll burst. In other words, it's going to be my way or it's going to be no way. Let me give you an example of that in the New Testament. Let's turn to 3 John. Diotrephes is mentioned in 3 John verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, well, what do we know about Diotrephes? Who loves to have the preeminence. He's going to be the chief man. He's going to be the one in charge. He's going to be in control. He loves to have the preeminence among them, did not receive us. What did he do? Verse 10, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds that he does, pratting against us with malicious words. See, he loved to have the preeminence. It was going to be my way or the highway. 
There's not going to be any other way than my way. That's what pride causes. When you have someone that's going to run everything or control everything or it's not going to be done at all, that's a problem with, indeed, pride. Let's talk about various forms of pride now. Talk about some various forms of pride. How does pride come? Well, first of all, there could be spiritual pride. What do we mean by spiritual pride? It's a holier-than-thou kind of attitude where I may not be proud with reference to my education or something. We'll come to that in a moment. Or proud concerning my race. But I might be spiritually proud. How so? Well, holier-than-thou attitude. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, if you will, for a moment. Um, it's in Mark 12, in verse 38 and 39. Jesus warned concerning the scribes. This is Mark 12, verse 38. He said to, those, uh, he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, and the best seats in the synagogue. Now, why do they like the best seats in the synagogue? I deserve that seat. That's reserved for somebody important. And I need that important seat. That's kind of a holier-than-thou attitude. We see that again in Luke chapter 18. We've referenced that passage already. That Pharisee who said, I thank God I'm not as other men are. I'm not like that lowly publican. We could have spiritual pride. Do you look around at others and think, you know what, I'm, I'm superior to them. I, I'm better than everyone. I'm holier than everyone else. Let's go to the passage. It's not on the screen. Let's go to Galatians 6. Galatians 6 talks about those who are spiritual, what they are to do to help those that are caught up in sin. But then he says at verse 3, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, what's he talking about? I don't think he's talking about you think you're really smart when you're not, or you think you're rich when you're not. It's in a context of spirituality. When you think you're really something spiritual, I'm stronger and better than everyone else, when maybe you're not. You indeed are nothing. There's a form of pride, of intellectual pride. That's where I have a disdain for those who may be unlearned, maybe those who are illiterate, or those who know less than I know. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There was this principle in 1 Corinthians 8 that eating, an, uh, eating of meat that has been sacrificed to idol was not wrong and it was nothing. But not everyone had that knowledge. And so I ought not to be arrogant about that. Let's see what the text says. Now concerning the things that are offered to idols, verse 1, we know that all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. You see, I might have knowledge of something, and knowledge has a tendency to puff up, but love edifies. That knowledge within itself, because there is some knowledge I have that someone else doesn't, makes me think I'm superior to them. But love takes that knowledge down. That is, it brings it down to the ground, brings it with humility. If anyone thinks he knows something, verse 2, he knows nothing as he ought to know. He may have knowledge, but he does not need to have arrogance along with that knowledge. There could be pride of material things, where we consider those with less as being inferior. I have more, have more money. I feel like maybe they are inferior. Let's go to James chapter 1. We'll forego the passage in Chronicles, but the Chronicles makes the same point as James chapter 1. All blessings, David said, came from God. James is going to make the same point. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift 
is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning or variableness. So all blessings come from God. I have no reason to feel superior because I've been blessed with more materially than someone else or feel inferior because I have been blessed with less. There can be social pride where we think those of a different class are inferior. And I put class in quotations. Let's go to James chapter 2 as an example of this. James chapter 2 talks about that if one comes into your assembly and he has a gold ring or fine apparel, and, you sh- and one should come in that with, with, uh, that's poor and with filthy clothes, that means literally cheap rags. Here comes a rich man into the assembly, and here comes a poor man into the assembly. And how should you treat him? The point of the text is you treat him equal. You don't favor one because he has wealth. And he said in verse 3, you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothing. You say to him, you sit in the good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Drop down to verse 9. Verse 9, if you show partiality, you commit sin. This is showing respect of persons. So there could be this idea of social pride. But there could also be pride of sin. How so? We may boast of things that we've done wrong. We may take advantage of someone and we laugh about it and we brag about that. There may be moral acts. We got even with someone. We told someone off. And then we're proud of the fact we did that. I've had people brag to me and you've had people brag to you about something they've done. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 10. Notice a contrast to that. Here was this brother who had his father's wife in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and the church was told to withdraw from him, and they did. And having done that, chapter 7 describes repentance. Now notice he said, for godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation, not to be regretted, for the sorrow of the world produces death. So what does that have to do with our point here? This brother who was guilty of the sin of fornication, at this point that he comes to repentance, is not proud of it at all. He's not bragging about it at all. He's not telling others how he had done that. He is not telling people and laughing about having his father's wife. But notice verse 10, there's this godly sorrow that works repentance. That is, he's uh, he's deeply sorrowful. There's deep contrition because of his sin. And that's how God tells us we ought to have the attitude we ought to have toward our sin. Not being proud of our sin. But we can be proud of our sin. We can be proud again of our humility. Now finally, let's talk about the cure for pride. How do we cure pride? You may be sitting here thinking, you know what, maybe, maybe there are times that, that I could be guilty of pride. What do you do about that? How do you cure pride? How, how do we get over pride? Well, first of all, we start with a close self-examination. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. I mean, every one of us need to look at ourselves. Matthew chapter 15, we've already alluded to that, at least Mark's account of that, for out of the evil heart comes adulteries, fornication, murders, etc. Comes from an evil heart. So I need to look in my heart and ask some questions. Here's the kind of things I need to ask. Could I be arrogant or proud? Now when we're doing a self-examination, it only pays us to be honest. Could it be that I'm driven to do certain things because of pride? Maybe the reason I told that story is Pride made me tell that story. Maybe the reason I revealed this was because of pride. Was that the reason? Maybe the reason I bought this is because, am I driven because of pride? Could it be? Maybe so. Do I come across as arrogant? 
Maybe I don't mean to, but did, did I say some things that make other people think I'm arrogant? And if they thought that, maybe I am driven a little bit by pride. And if it was someone else doing the same thing, would I think they were arrogant? If someone else did the very thing I just did or said the same thing I just said, would I view them as being arrogant? Well, yeah, I think, I think I'd view them as being, well, then maybe I'm going to be viewed as arrogant as well. A close self-examination, could I be driven by pride? I am driven by lust of the flesh. I am driven by the lust of the eyes. What would make me think I'm not ever driven by the pride of life? Do we commit sin from time? Oh, yeah, we commit sin. Well, you're going to commit sin in one of those three avenues. Was it always the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes? Or was some of that sin you've been committing the pride of life? Here's the second thing. How to cure it. Realize who you really are. What do we mean by that? We're mere men, the psalmist said. That's all we are. We're not deity. We're dependent upon God, Acts 17. We are his creatures, and we, live up, we depend upon him for even the very life and the breath that we breathe. We're sinners, Romans 5 and in verse 9. And so when I realize, you know what, I'm just a mere man, I'm a creature, I depend upon God for every, even my very life and my breath, and, and we're nothing but sinners, but God has created man and we, we willfully yield to the temptation. It takes a little pride out of our, our lives. What else do I do? Deny self. Look at Mark 8, 34. Jesus, in talking about becoming his disciple, that if you would like to be his disciple and come after anyone who comes after me, notice he said in verse 34, whoever desires to come after me, in other words, you want to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mark 8, 34. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That self-denial means I give preference to other people. It means I learn to say no to myself. I'm going to suppress my own will, and I'm going to yield to the will of God. Let's close by looking at John chapter 13, last passage we'll give consideration to. You say, I, I, I want to make sure, I, I, if I have arrogance, I want to make sure I overcome that. Or you may say, I don't think of myself as arrogant, but I want to make sure I don't become arrogant. I don't want to be filled with pride. I don't want to do that at all. Then follow the example of Jesus in John chapter 13. Let's turn to John chapter 13, make a few points from it, and the lesson will be yours. Here's a case where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It's a lesson in service, a lesson in humility. First of all, I want you to notice at verse 3, he did this with the awareness of his exalted position. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus knew he was deity. He knew he was superior to the men that he was washing their feet. But he did it with well awareness of his exalted position. If you were to be in an exalted position, there's no reason for not having humility. Jesus is teaching us. Notice at verse 4, he arose from the supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and he girded himself. He dressed like a servant. He girded himself with a towel. This is the job of a servant. And so Jesus is taking on the role of a servant. This is deity himself. This is Jesus. And he's taking on the role of a servant, demonstrating humility. Verse 5, 
He did the act of a servant. He didn't just play the role of a servant. This wasn't a photo op, but he did the act of a servant. And after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and washed them with the towel with which he was girded. He took on the role of a servant. He took on the actions of a servant. What else did he do? Look at verse 8. The purpose was that he might show his work being served with, uh, with humility. Look at verse 8. That if you never wash, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said to him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. He's showing that humility is a part of the service of the Lord. That's what he's trying to demonstrate to his disciples. And then finally notice verses 12 to, to 17, the lesson that we're to learn is we're to humbly serve other people. Summary of that would be found in verse 15. He said, for I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. That's what this was all about. This washing your feet was not just a matter of you getting clean feet. He said, I, I did this so that you could learn that you should serve one another. That's what this is all about. So how do, how do I overcome the problem of pride? One of the things is just follow the example of Jesus, learning to serve others in deep humility. What have we seen? Well, 1 John 2 talks about one of the problems in the world is the pride of life. And what we've seen is that pride is a sin. Then we looked at a number of examples of pride. None of them were pleasant or good examples. And then we saw pride leads to other problems. And then we saw various forms of pride. It could be intellectual pride. It could be spiritual pride, pride of sin. And then we've looked at the cure for pride. How do you overcome sin? How do you overcome pride? Pride indeed is a problem. Now you understand why Augustine said, pride the greatest sin of all. There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and sing?